Hey everybody, it's Mike Birbiglia. Once again, our presenting sponsor is Samuel Adams. You might be enjoying a Sam Adams summer ale. That's a nice thing. I don't know why it tastes like summer, but it does. They're also doing this really positive thing right now, which is called the Restaurant Strong Fund. As you know, so many industries are struggling, but perhaps none more than the restaurant industry. So they've teamed up with the nonprofit Greg Hill Foundation to create the Restaurant Strong Fund to support restaurant workers. You can help support their efforts at samueladams.com. And now the show. We're back with another episode of Working It Out. I met Hassan Minaj in 2014 at the Montreal Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. He was in the New Faces category and he exploded shortly thereafter as a correspondent for The Daily Show in his Peabody Award-winning special Homecoming King on Netflix. And then his own series, Patriot Act, which we referenced in this episode, he got in a lot of hot water for some episodes about Saudi Arabia and India and Philippines. Today, I chatted with Hassan. There was no hot water. Just warm water, bubbles, and laughs. Enjoy. I mean, I feel like you're you're threading quite a needle right now because you're you're in the belly of the beast, which is which is that current events are the most chaotic they've possibly been in the last fifty years or more. Yeah, and and you're you're forced to find the humor in that regularly. And man, man, do I not envy that? That is so hard. The problem, thanks, man. I mean, the the the, the problem is is uh, sometimes, and I'll tell Prashant this, and I'll tell the writers this on the show, is I'll be like. Man, sometimes we don't have enough time to think. Oh, I know. And and um, <laughs> I actually said this in this last episode. Um, the joke was something along the lines of this: of like, people will tell us all the time, "Hey, man, we're living through history," and yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, living through history sucks." <laughs> reading, reading about history oh, is good. awesome. Like, reading about history is awesome because you know oh. how the story is going to end. And then I tagged the joke where I'm, we ended up cutting the, these tags because they were so dark, but you tag the joke. Abe Lincoln probably shouldn't have been such a big fan of theater. Hey, oh JFK, maybe don't take the drop top, don't oh, take the drop top out that oh. day. Right? And they were just, they were groaners. Oh my right? gosh. But, but again, hindsight is twenty twenty. When you're living through history, you're like, are we in act one? Are we in act two? Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? That's part of the reason I don't mess with political comedy too much. Like I wrote a joke the other day. I'll say it on this podcast, but I'll tell you as a preface to the audience, this isn't going to be in a special. I don't stand behind this, but I do think it's a funny line. Right now there's political comedy gridlock because liberals can't take jokes and conservatives can't write them. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a funny line, but I don't I don't want to be like I don't think it's universally true right. that liberals can't take jokes. I don't think it's universally true that conservatives can't write jokes, but it's a funny generalization. Yes. Yes. And I hear what you're saying where you're like, look, if I say this, do I have a seven to ten minute run defending it? That's right. And then I'm like, and like you're saying, history is what is going to decide, and we haven't lived through the cycle of history to know. 
Yeah. It's also a, a thing in and in comedy, is Mike Birbiglia the character? Are you a contrarian comic? That's a great question. I think I you think know how the, there's like the, there's an, the answer I, is I'm I'm apolitical actually, but then weirdly like my my Twitter persona is fucking furious. Yeah, you're super <laughs> political, and then when you're like your stage show is one of the most bipartisan stage shows I've ever seen. Like, I'm not trying to say this to be cliche, but it is just about the human experience, which is really beautiful. And like, yeah, Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence can both appreciate that equally. It, but what, oh what, I, what I, I know, what, what a weird combination if they both showed up to the chair. <laughs> but but um, yeah, you have like Mike Birbiglia has a Hamilton situation where just like you have yeah, to address yeah, yeah. it. I have to speak to Pence at the end of the show. You know, I fantasize about that all the time. It's like, what if Ivanka or Don Jr., one of these people at some point even not now but like 10 years 15 years down the road yeah is in the audience of one of my shows and what is my moral obligation to what i what i believe is a, an evil regime of people uh and what is my obligation to myself and to my fans to and and i and i i have a whole thing in my head which is that um at the beginning of the show if i see that they're there I say, you know, my goal as an entertainer is to entertain everyone who is in who is in a room. And sometimes, occasionally, there are a few exceptions. <laughs> That's great. And then and then move on from there. And and so you don't call out their names, you don't you don't give them attention, you don't give them oxygen, but you just acknowledge that you know what? I'm an entertainer, but I'm not, I'm not good with you, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what's really funny? Is that you and John Mulaney are some of the funniest mean comics behind closed doors. <laughs> like, you guys, if pushed, you can be so cutting and biting and, like, really be savage. And what's John funny is, is John. Is, John can be wicked. John, John, I mean, like, John can be wicked. Totally. And I'm like, whoa, 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 kid, gorgeous. That's in none of the. Yeah, like, yeah. That's not in the act. But um, I think, I think again, because you guys are such masters of the craft, you also know, and you're saying that with wisdom is, do I want to stand by that? Like, yeah, I can, I can do kind of Comedy Central roast jokes. Do I stand by those jokes? And that's something where, I'll be frank, like. I've never been that guy. Like those yeah, yeah. those thoughts do they trust me that like that that green room banter or that comedy seller table shit talking like totally yeah. like if you 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 stay in this game long enough you're going to be able to do that. But I yeah. I just have to ask myself sometimes I'm like do I want to stand by that and do I want that to be, you know, on YouTube forever and I have to go back and answer for that, you know? But you've done it. You've done it with the Saudi Arabia stuff. I mean, you've you've done it in a handful of yeah, places I where it, yeah, where I even I as your friend am concerned. Right, right. And that's something that I'm. That's actually a theme, a big theme that I'm working on for my next one, man. Um, which is why do we do and why do we say the things that we say? Because especially the position that I've been in, conflict. Uh, uh, evisceration culture we've been incentivized to do that and how much yeah, of that right. is, is yeah. me being true to like my comedic voice and what I really want to do in my heart and how much of that is swinging for the fences knowing you're going to create a moment 
how much of activism is just an act? And right. what's, what's really interesting that's happening right now is a lot of that stuff is being adjudicated in real time. Hey, you put up that black square. Did you really mean it? Or are you doing it defensively? Like, how much I of know. this is you kind of pandering to where the Overton window is? And how much of this is how much you really do you really feel? And then also, because of the subject matter that I'm dealing with, there's a lot of third rail international issues is whose responsibility is my jokes? Like, I say these things as an independent person, but you sure. I, I'm a father of two now. I have a new one that oh, was just born, I think right? think about this all the time. Yeah. Yep. They have yep. to carry that legacy for better, for worse. So yep. how many autocrats, how many dictators, how many things do you want to have beef with and you want your son and your daughter to carry that with them? Sometimes when I'm writing new material, I have a lot of questions I don't have mm-hmm. answers just yet. So it's it's more interesting than it is funny. Yeah. I think that often it's the story that you have that you tell your friends casually at parties or at a bar or you're hanging out at their apartment that is the thing you should be talking about on stage. Got it. That, that's that thing that's bursting out of you that you have to tell th- all yeah, your friends that you grew up cause, with. Because it's what you're thinking about. I mean, I feel like so so many comics, myself included, at di- at different phases, um, you're saying what you think either people want to hear or 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 what you think you're best at saying, and it's like the truth is like it's like who cares about that? I want to know what's on your mind. Right, right, right. That's and, and like really now, funny. like we're so in this you, current we're, climate we're, where like like there's a lot of stuff. That you're un- that we're all uncomfortable saying or even putting out there, like the joke I said earlier, yeah. where I'm like, I'm not going to put that on a special because I don't want to stand behind it. But but is that bad, Mike? I have this question: Where do unpolished thoughts or where do <laughs> where do they go? Because where do they go? Yeah, yeah. Because where and where should they go? Um, and because that gets ratcheted up even for someone like me, where there's this constant debate in regards to if you have your own show. Who do you platform and who do you not platform? And I always wanted to ask you this almost like a chapter two to thank God for jokes. Yeah. Because that's that what, what was really dope about that special is that was the conversation that was happening the year that you dropped that. And what was so cool is I think you established chapter one where you're like, I love jokes. And <laughs> yeah. I love jokes and I will defend all types of jokes because I just yeah. love them, you know? And and um and you even you even went out to say you're like people should not be murdered or killed for jokes like that's insane yeah. you know I'm thinking about this too where there's this there's this new kind of debate about kind of discourse and all all of those things and um, I do see comedy as an art form but sometimes it gets yeah. critiqued not like it's an art form like it gets critiqued as if it is literal biblical Old Testament like. Uh, discourse that it's not hyperbolic yeah intention is thrown out of the window all of those things so my my follow-up to thank god for jokes if i were to write it would be talking about how i think the reason i think the reason that what you're describing happened which is that that comedy has been amplified to a status of being a sermon as opposed to being entertainment is that the art form itself became popular. 
and it used to be indie. Uh, and so, so when I got into comedy, dude, in the that's 90s so funny. Early, you know who told me that too? Bobby Kelly told me that too. He said, "You can say whatever the fuck you want on stage, but the moment money gets involved, yeah, all of a sudden it becomes police." He's like, "Trust me, you can say whatever you want in a basement. You can." Oh yeah, but absolutely, but if the, absolutely. like the dollar signs next to it are big enough, and he he just broke it down. So Bobby was, it was actually really great. He was like. Notice how whenever you do like a private gig, they'll they'll literally say you can't say this 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 and this. By the way, we're giving you this many thousand dollars, and you're like, got it. You know what I mean? I was talking to Ronnie Chang about that the other day. I go, do you ever think about going to China and and performing in you know in Mandarin? Because it seems like there'd be a lot of money in it, obviously. Right. And and he goes, no, it's I mean, no because it's not what I wanted to do. I don't want the the list of things like you're describing with corporates right. to be don't talk about the government don't talk about religion don't talk about that's not why I got into this uh yeah and and I think like that's one of the things you know we we ended up in this universe where when like you and I started getting into comedy it was sort of an more of an indie art form, and yes. now it's become really pop. It's huge. Yeah. Comedy's huge. I mean, Chappelle did his thing the other day, and it got it's, it's like forty million views on YouTube or something. Right, it's insane. It's like, yeah, it's like unbelievable. Yeah, yes, it is. It is popular culture, and it used to be this thing that. And he's other, not. By the way, he's not even telling jokes. I know. He's not even doing I jokes. Know. I know. And it's great. By the way, it's it's brilliant. I'm I, and it should get forty million views. I mean, Dave is one of one of our our smartest people in America. Yeah. And but but wow, we are we are really finding ourselves in an interesting place for comedy right now, which is, you know, twenty, thirty, forty, forty million people are watching a comedian address an issue without right. jokes. Right. Right. This is good. this analogy doesn't the joke math doesn't work out perfectly here, but it's basically like, look, if you have the same viewership and coverage as a Katy Perry or a Lady Gaga or Justin Bieber, then will the act have to be saran wrapped and protected in such a way, you know, legal check, fact check, yeah. all of these things because it's just seeing so many eyeballs. Whereas when you and I got into it, you know, just doing, you know, 220 people at Cap City Comedy Club, that was a huge win, you know, and, and you were playing for that. And maybe you get a Comedy Central half hour. It, it was this kind of secondary or tertiary thing on the hierarchy of art. I think it goes to the question that you were posing earlier, though, which is like, what are we doing it for in the first place? And and my personal answer, and I'll, 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 I'm curious to know what your personal answer is. My personal answer is, when I first saw Stephen Wright or Jake Johansson or, or any of the comedians who I really love starting out, when I first saw them, I felt less alone because I, f I thought, oh, wow, these are these wild, surrealistic uh, and also personal, deep thoughts that someone is externalizing for me and a group of strangers. And I want to get in on that. I want to do something like that because I that makes me feel what a lot, I think a lot of people feel in in religion from from their religions and I and I feel that from comedy and that's why my show is called thank god for jokes in some ways but but like what is that to you like why what what are you in comedy for man so i was actually talking to this with a musician friend of mine he's a rapper his name's brother ali and he was talking about how with different musicians 
there's a reason why they get into music to begin with. And he was speaking to it from a very deep philosophical position, but it really connected with me. He was like, some people get into music to connect, to be understood, to have power. And I was like, mm -hmm. what do you mean by that? Like this power thing. He's like, sometimes it's power over others. Like I want to mm -hmm. pull the levers and mechanisms of society. I want to be able to have the shiny, splashy show or to have the fame or to have those things so I can be in the room where it all happens. And that means a lot to me. That means I can push the buttons to make things happen for me. Other times it's, yeah. I want power over my own life. And yeah. it's interesting, three of those things connected to me, you know, kind of from an insecure place of like, yes, I want to connect. So much of when I'm on stage and I've tried to become better with that as I've gotten older and more and in, deeper into comedy is, hey, just because you bomb doesn't mean you suck. Like, you got to be better about that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah, sure. Because sure. I'll, I'll take it so personally. I'm like, why, why isn't this resonating? And it's my desire to connect. I want yeah. things to connect. It means the world to me when it connects, right? Then the second is just, you know, being misunderstood. I've always kind of felt misunderstood. Comedy was this great way where I feel like we're all a bunch of mutants and we have these superpowers and we're able to be understood through our act. Um, but the third, it was why I decided to just get up and do that first open mic. Um, it's power and control over my own life. Because when mm -hmm. I first yeah. started doing comedy, I worked at Office Max and I was I was selling printers. Mm -hmm. And I remember my boss would talk to me a certain way when people would come into Office Max. I used to have to say, welcome to Office Max. How can I help you take sure. it to the max? Sure. I didn't even have power or control over my own like dignity. What, you had to say what? Welcome to Office Max, what? How can I help you take it to the max? <laughs> I, I thought I heard it like I, I, I was making sure I heard it correctly yeah, that is phenomenal how can I help you take it to the max yeah amazing yeah and amazing which by the way have you talked about that on stage that's too good yeah I think that was like some one of my opening like one of my first jokes when I was like first starting out and like why? I think you gotta get that back in yeah because I think that that and that I talk about it in the slow round but like but it's like the, those kind of prompts that's a perfect example of like what's like a cringy thing. Yeah. The thing that makes you cringe now thinking about it. It's like, how can I help you take it to the max is quintessential uh, example of that. Yeah. And like it was one of those things. I didn't realize it until now where I was like, oh, the thing that got me to go to the Sacramento punchline on that Tuesday yeah. was I don't want my manager, Brian, to talk to me like that ever again. There isn't a feeling of, if I can do this, I'm in control. I can say whatever I want. I don't have to yeah. say, how can I help you take it to the max? I can say whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. you know, what's crazy is the more you get into it, the deeper you get in, you start to make money doing it, is you start to say, I don't want anybody to tell me what to say or do. It's funny because you're talking about bombing and, and feeling bad when you're bombing. but the, and, I, and of course, I do too. I think we're only, all comics are only as good as our last show. But then the other side of that is the most successful uh, people are failing more than uh, the people who are quote-unquote failures. Like, the, the think about the people who we know, who, you know, the Dave Chappelle's and the Chris Rock's of the world, who... I mean, Rock, like, I mean, Rock will on, bring, they're, Rock they're will bring the notebook on stage. So, yeah, they're, they're on stage so much. And bombing. Like, I mean... Chappelle, like, I've watched Rock and Chappelle a lot at the Comedy Cellar for hours. And, like, 
they spend a lot of time with no laughs. A lot of time. It's it's unbelievable. I That level of, especially when Rock is working out, it's so cool to see he won't even turn on full Chris Rock. He's not no. hitting the NOS button. Like, he's just... No. No and booster he knows he jets. Can, and he knows he can. Yeah. And he's like, nope, I'm not going to put anything extra on this. We do a thing on the show here called the slow round. And uh, my first slow round question today is, do you have a skill that no one really knows about? Uh, I mean, this is a weird talent that I have, but I can spin a basketball on my finger for a very long time, like a surprisingly long time where it's kind of impressive. If I was at a dinner party, I could spin it on my finger and then- For like 20, 20 seconds? 20 seconds. And then if I'm going to kind of spell out the imagery, I can then have it climb up my arm, <laughs> over my shoulder, across my other shoulder, and then back around like I'm a Harlem Globetrotter. No way. Yes. No way. Exactly. Like like like, like the Harlem Globetrotters? Yeah, yeah. You can start doing the song and I'll just do it. And it's very good. <laughs> yeah. And it's Dude, a, it is a very is stupid, it's a stupid skill that I got when I was That's like 15. When I was not, 15. Nothing stupid about it. Yeah, man. That, that'll open, open up a lot of doors. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a smell from childhood that sticks with you? Um, one is this gym called Hickey Gym, uh, which is on the UC Davis campus. And mm-hmm. as kids, we would, we would break into Hickey Gym. Like, we would find somebody <laughs> to prop the door open, and then we would just go in and play. You had to be a student to play in that gym. Um, and it was used to, for practice, but it's it's this old, dingy gym that was made in yeah. like the '30s. But you know the smell of that gym, like oh, it, I I know the gym smell. It's really it's really dingy and old. And and when you when you play on it, there's pockets where if you're dribbling the ball, it'll just dunk, it'll just die. <laughs> you know, sure. but but I remember as a, I remember that smell. I remember the smell of when you open that the the double doors to go into it. The feeling yeah. that you get where you're like, we're sneaking in and that the double door oh, is unlocked. Yeah. And just the smell of like the bleachers and the way the water, the, the water from the water fountain, it kind of had like a leady kind of taste mm, to it. Yes. And, and you know this gym, like your middle school gym was like this. Like there's a lot of gyms that are like this. It's like how, it, that's so funny that the, 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 the taste of the water brings me back to like St. John's summer camp when I was a kid. And yeah. it's like, how many water fountains did we essentially like lick as children and there was a lot of kids that would just straight up full-on go cpr on that (laughs) water fountain you know of course you know what also what 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 really bothers me man is i look at the vividness at which my daughter makes memories like she'll Mm. look at a blade of grass she's you know she's two so like she's walking around the world like she's high but the, yeah. the ability, you know, like she has this Hello Kitty plush animal, and the way she like looks at just even the way the dress ruffles for Hello Kitty, mm-hmm. and I envy that level of attention to detail and being present. Whereas sure. with me, just just the sheer the hit of life that I need to my dome for it to resonate, like. Mm-hmm. I have like six memories as an adult where I was like, yeah, yeah, that really stood out. Like that day that we performed at Andrews Air Force Base and we met Barack yeah. and Michelle Obama. But th- that's the same as my daughter holding her Hello Kitty where she can just look at it and look at that moment for like 40 minutes. And I'm like, why do I have to ascend to 
that level of memory. I have to meet the president in order for it to stick in my head. I turned 42 last week and I have this joke where I go, I'm halfway through my life. Not technically, not everyone dies at 84. Nobody's ever like, 80 through 100, those are the years. <laughs> They're like, I was 83, I reached for a grape and I never walked again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's like my, you know, my dad had his first heart attack when he was, I think, 57. His dad had a heart attack at 57 and, and, and I think died from it. Uh, he wow. died before I was, I was born. And so I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like it's the first time where I'm going like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, I could go at 50. I could go at 60. I could go at 80. I mean, there's no way to know. My, my dad's 80 now. Wow. Yeah, it's wild. I never How stopped. about you? What, how long do you think your, your, your lifespan will go? I don't know. I, that's the thing. I don't think about it that much. I feel like I'm just, <laughs> I'll tell Prashant this all the time. I feel like we're running with bags. The past six, seven years that, since I moved to New York, it's just been head down, running with bags, like literally running with bags, like going on yeah. tour, going whatever, changing apartments every like year and a half. Yes, it yes. just it yeah, it just feels like this insane blur, and it's weird. I miss the singularity of the smell of Hickey Jim. Like nothing mm, feels yes. like that anymore. You know. But by the way, running with bags, you you should if you don't have that in your notebook already, you should write that down. I mean, I think that's a great that's a great. Uh, piece of imagery for your show interesting just the idea of and you totally get it where i'm like running either with like a suitcase or i'm running with, yeah yep like one of those diaper bags or whatever i just think it's a very human uh relatable thing that we're all running with bags yeah this is a bit that i was working on which is uh quarantine is sort of the first time i've cooked i mean i, I i've done a lot of heating you know but i haven't cooked like i went to college i got married i had a child and then i learned to cook and soon i will die which is not the typical order of events and and so i've always gone with heating over cooking like macaroni and cheese like thousands of boxes as a kid uh-huh and a box of macaroni and cheese contains macaroni and a packet of powder <laughs> okay. uh, and i started to think about it like what's in the powder and I looked on the side and it says, we don't talk about what's in the powder. That's hilarious. First rule of macaroni and cheese, right, right, don't right. talk about macaroni and cheese. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then even when I took the powder out of the cheese packet, I actually would turn my face away so I didn't inhale the powder. The powder. <laughs> but, then, but then I'd think about it and go like, well, actually, I'm about to eat it, yeah. which is a voluntary inhalation. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I can't have it go in through my nose. I'm about to ingest it through my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I was adamant about cooking macaroni and cheese for my daughter. She's five. Uh-huh. Because I ate it as a kid. It was nostalgic. Uh-huh. And, and Jen, my wife, um, won't let me cook her macaroni and cheese from a box because um, there have been articles in the New York Times about how the powder may contain carcinogens. And my argument back was not that strong. I was like, well, I ate it, I ate it as a kid, and I got cancer, so right. I guess maybe that's not a great argument. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, my question for you, hearing that bit, what appeals to you most about it in terms of what do you want to hear more about and what, what feels like an original thought that you you don't you haven't heard anything about before. Well, I I just I love the way you describe 
those two different kind of worlds because it represents a completely different level of maturity in adulthood. Oh, interesting. Heating versus cooking. These are these are two different. Do you know what I mean? That's like yeah, yeah, yeah. W two versus W nine. There's like a different like when you're when you're filling out who the dependents are versus if you're one of the dependents. Heating versus cooking is that level up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Of like all right. I would say until probably age 30, I was just heating things up. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? And then like, I think I hit 31 probably now. Do you notice this? Do you operate, and I don't want to be too whatever, like analyzing comedy though, but do you realize that so much of comedy comes from a low status position? Like you were yeah. talking about type yeah. 2 diabetes. You were talking, I mean, you talk about like throwing yourself out of a window. It's basically packaging your loss. Like, I'm the protagonist in the story, but the protagonist is losing. Besides, like, an Andrew Dice Clay or an Anthony Jesselnik. Yeah, 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 of course. Can comedy be done from a high-status position? I think we're at a a unique crossroads where Hannah Gadsby has this line in Nanette where she says, I won't self-deprecate because at a certain point when you're part of a marginalized group, self-deprecation is just humiliation. Right. And... I think that's interesting because I'm like, I don't necessarily, I told her this, I don't necessarily agree with that, but yeah. it, it really makes me think. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's, it, it really is an interesting crossroads for comedy that we're at right now where marginalized groups are becoming <laughs> really good at comedy, right. <laughs> you know, right, and, right. Really pop, and really popular. You know, right. Hannah's a perfect example of like really, really popular and, and, uh, and well-received. And then it becomes like, I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about it? Well, I'll say this. Like, I think it's a really powerful statement. I think the power of not taking yourself so seriously, there's power in that. Because yeah. I'll be honest, so much of my adult life, and especially growing up Indian, is like everything being perfect and everything being put together and being able mm, to just be kind of yes. honest of just like, look, it's just not all there. And yes. and I think people can connect to that. And I think it gives them license to, you know, perhaps be okay with some of their shortcomings too, even if they're not willing to admit them. You know? That's how and I, I think, that's how I feel. And about I think it. Yeah. and I think like especially right now with I think the way Twitter dialogue is, there's nothing worse than I think two things. There's nothing worse than a comedian that that takes themselves too seriously. And then a blogger that takes comedy too seriously. Both of those philosophical positions, I'm like, lighten the fuck up to both positions. I, I completely agree. And by the way, I think that there's a thing in comedy right now where we have to reach a point where we acknowledge that we do not have to agree with what a comedian is saying to enjoy their performance Uh so like like hannah has that point about self-deprecation i love it i love that she makes that observation that didn't occur to me but it doesn't mean i agree with it it doesn't mean that i have to agree with it but do you think that's that's an important point and would that point land if you said it in a special thank god for jokes part two sure whatever it was yeah yeah i mean i might yeah I, i might could examine that at some point i mean i just feel like we're we're like you're saying earlier, we're living in the middle of history. And so to comment on the historical moment 
in media's res is maybe not the wisest thing to do. Right, as we're in it, yeah. yeah. Basically what you're saying is just when you operate in binary absolutes, you're probably not, it's probably not a wise social position to have or even argumentative position to have. And I remember one time I was getting into a pretty, I, I don't know, I was in the writer's room and I was just super steamed. And <laughs> I was kind of having like a very- I've, By the way, I've seen you super steamed and it's not pretty. <laughs> like I was like an, I was having a naive position about I made a blanket statement about politicians in front of uh, Steve Bodo, and who's our, who was our showrunner uh, about six or seven months ago. He was he was showrunner on the show. We worked together at the Daily Show. I call him for advice a lot of times. But anyways, I was like uh, I was shitting on a certain politician, right? And I'm just like fuck them, like dude, why do they even why like. They want me to wear their shirts. They want us to come in. They're fucking liars, this, that, and the other. Like, And then they expect, like, they want to come on our show and they want me to throw them softball questions. Fuck that. Like, I was livid, <laughs> yeah. you know? I was livid. And and I was like, dude, what? I, I don't even, I was so mad. I was like, I don't even know why, why I participate in this game. I see their bullshit. I know yeah. it's there. In our pre-interview, I, they're telling me, please perpetuate the bullshit. Fuck it. I'm not even going to vote for them. And yep. um, Steve said something really profound to me, and it was an adult observation. He was like, hey, man, how many times in your everyday life have you taken less than ideal paths forward? Like when you came to work today, was it the, was it the best path that you wanted to take or did you hit traffic? Right. I was like, almost, yeah. Almost never. Almost yeah, never. I, I was like, I, I hit traffic. He's like, okay, when you went to go get coffee at Rex today, did they have what you wanted or did they run out mm-hmm. of almond milk or whatever? You had, to make, you had to make a choice. He's like, every day we make a series of compromises and we make the best choices based on the variables mm-hmm. we're given. Why yep. are you being so absolute about this particular position? Like, he's like, I have no problem with you feeling that, but why are you taking an absolute position on it when yeah. you know that 85% of the choices that you literally made today were based on less than ideal circumstances, but you took the best choice? And yeah. I'm like, y- you know what sucks? That opinion isn't great for television. That opinion isn't great for an algorithm, but that's a philosophically true position. Yeah. And that's something worth being defended. And then the my head is like, where do I put that? How do I explain that? What's the metaphor or story that I do to explain that? You know? I have this, this idea that I'm working on where th- something can be awful and endearing at the same time. Sure. And how do you make sense of that? Like, this That's is good. really dark. I don't even know where to put it. But like, you know, Osama bin Laden was really into Whitney Houston. <laughs> is that true? Yeah. And like... I don't know Dude, why. That's okay, this too is a, good. Okay, again, I'm gonna preface this for everybody listening, but like, this is where I, how I would tag the joke. It's like, can you imagine, like, you know, he was tall, and then he's 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 hooked up. He, I think he was like hooked up to. He, he had like he had kidney problems or whatever, and he's just yes. li- he's listening to the Bodyguard soundtrack. Oh my gosh! <laughs> as they come and light him up in a bodabod, you know, like oh my gosh, like he's listening. Always. Love you. And he's just getting lit up as he's listening to the bodyguards. I mean, it's such a dark thing, but yeah, I don't know. That image to me is very funny that it's awful it's, and endearing. That, like, yeah, this it's a, a dude, good, maybe a good tag is like, is, is, is Osama that bad or is Whitney that good? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like George W. Bush started an un- an unnecessary war in Iraq. Yeah, yeah. But he loves dogs. I know, and his paintings are actually kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
You know what I mean? Like, how do you? I'll fight. I'll, yeah, you, you, can, you can fight with people all day about those paintings. Yeah, people, yeah. people hate those paintings, but I got to say, like, I know, that if, we're really, if we're speaking our honest truth, yeah. there's something about that's endearing about the painting. Yeah, there's just something really cute about him painting a bowl of fruit. I don't know what and it is. We're not saying the Iraq war was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should have never invaded Iraq. Can I run one by you where I'm like, please? Okay, I don't know. I have tried to make this work on stage. The emotion is true, but I don't, I've never been able to make it connect with an audience, and only Bina gets it. So, <laughs> okay, so there's this place called Rhinebeck, which is upstate. It's sure. It's um Jordan Klepper told me about it. It was our anniversary, our second anniversary. I didn't I wasn't familiar with New York, like what upstate was, what the cat skills were. He was like, take her to Rhinebeck. There's this beautiful little inn. It's right on the water. Like, it's old. It's quaint. It looks mm-hmm. like a Hallmark movie. Take her there. It's great. We just went. You'll love it. I take her there. Um, and Rhinebeck is so small. Like, by the time we got there off the train, we went. We tried to go have dinner. And the three restaurants that were open in town were closed. So it's like we went to bed hungry. And it was this, it was, <laughs> it was this thing where it's just like I was supposed to plan this thing for her. And it was supposed to be perfect. But at every like juncture, I came home from work late, which means that we left that Friday night. We got to Rhinebeck too late. The food, we didn't get, we weren't able to get food, so we went to bed hungry. We woke up. Yeah. And I was like, it's all good. The the inn, they have breakfast there, so we can have breakfast. Yeah. So basically, nobody was staying at the inn. So it was just us and one other couple. And yeah. we're sitting there at breakfast. This other couple is maybe four tables away. And this girl is having a full-on argument with the guy. She goes, and I remember this. I remember this as clearly as like Hickey Jim. She goes, <laughs> yeah. really? You're going to tell your mom I'm just your friend? Oh my God. Yeah. So they were, at a, they were at a wedding the night before and he introduces said girl as, hey mom, this is my quote unquote friend. And I'm staring. I'm full on staring. I'm watching them having a full on fight. And I cannot tell you how happy I was to watch another couple fight. Yeah, Okay. sure. Why do I feel this way, Mike? Why do I get such joy watching other people's lives fall apart? Well, it's schadenfreude, which is the joy from other people's pain. Okay. (laughs) That's part of it. And then then I think it is, it's the relatability of that you and Bina have conflicts and sometimes you secretly probably think it's just you you two. Yes. But there's this and, joy of like I I reveled in it because I was like, hey babe, look, that that guy <laughs> is, is worse than me. <laughs> Dude, that bit is done. I mean, it's just a matter of where you're gonna put that in the show. I think that bit is so funny. And part of the reason I think it's so funny is that the moment you describe the couple and you use the direct quote from the from the woman, I'm transported there and I'm enjoying it as a voyeur through your eyes. Bina couldn't watch. She's like, they're fighting, we shouldn't look. And I was oh, like, gosh. oh, I'm looking. We have to, I'm, I'm in. I'm subscribed to the podcast. I'm liking, I'm leaving a comment below. That's I'm in, so I'm funny. all in on this whole thing. But I've tried to make that work and I've noticed the audience has kind of been like, <laughs> wait, what, you, you enjoy watching them fall apart? Like, I'm oh not gosh. selling the idea right. I guess I would say like, what it, 
Like, what is your were you were you inconspicuously or conspicuously watching them argue? I mean, I do have a staring problem. Like, I just <laughs> stare. And Bina tells me this all the time. Like, I would do it on the train. I w- I just do it. I love um. I love watching scenes unfold, and I think you also, that's, have, you also have big eyes. By yeah, the way. so it, it's it just so looks it's no it's noticeable. Yeah, if and you're it's staring. very noticeable. And I didn't yeah. notice how big of a problem it was until I went to India because Indians stare. So you go to a country where everybody's staring at everybody, and it's mm. very weird. Like everybody's just kind of looking at everybody, and so when I'm just the only one doing it on the train, I don't feel it as much because nobody's staring at me. It's when I would go, like when I would take the train or go down to the cell or whatever. And I'm just watching other people. I, I, I always felt like this great way. It's why I love New York so much is I can just kind of see all these scenes unfold. I think that bit that you're describing is phenomenal. I think you might want to harp on that you're not good at staring. Oh, because that's sort it, of that's sort of in the wait, self-deprecating wait, Mike, what realm. What if it's this? It's this idea. When you know how, like, we all feel like we're the protagonist in our own movie. Sure. So sure. So if Jen criticizes you, you're just like, man, I suck. Like if she's, if she's saying this about <laughs> yes. I suck. Yes. And that means I carry the weight of all of that suckiness. Yeah, and yeah. And there's something so, um, <laughs> I don't know, relieving and kind of titillating to be like, oh, wait. There's all these other dudes out there that suck way more. Like so much worse. It makes so me worse. feel better about myself. But why do I have that need to show the receipt to my wife too and be like, "Babe, come on. I it's like you will never have that problem with me." I'll be like, "This is my wife." I think you're on to something that might be a digression from this, which is when our partner, our romantic partner judges us. Yes. I think there's a there's a fork in the road between people like you and me who agree with the partner for judging us. Yeah. Who are like, "Oh yeah, you're right." Like, <laughs> "Yeah, you you got me. Right. I'm a, I'm an idiot." Right. And then there's and then and you and I witness this with people watching all the time, there's the bros who ain't going out like that. Yes. You know, like, they're, like they're, 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 their partner calls them on something and they're yeah. like, nah, uh, no, 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 they, no, that's not how it is. They no, go, no, that's they, not how it is. They go, they, go, they go down firing like that last scene in Scarface. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, you want to play rough? Okay. <laughs> like they, they're, they're pulling out the guns and they're just, they're, they're going down like guns blazing. But I think there's something there with, Taking apart your entire so so you have this trip that is to Rhinebeck. Yes. And I'd probably leave out the no restaurants thing at the beginning. Yeah. The three restaurants were closed because who cares? It doesn't have anything to do with what you're talking about. The real meat of the matter is you get to Rhinebeck, you go to breakfast, and this couple has this conversation next door, and you sort of relish it. And Bina sort of hates that you're relishing it. And therein lies the metaphor of your marriage, which is that when Bina, like, criticizes something about you, yes. you sort of agree with her. <laughs> well, But it doesn't take away from the fact that you're still enjoying it. Do you know what's crazy? This isn't funny. How do I make this funny? So she's a better human being than me because she's watching them fight and she's turning away out of humility. 
because yeah. she believes in objective virtue. She does yeah. not believe in a zero-sum game. Like, virtue is virtue, and it's good for just being virtuous. Honesty, good things are good, bad things are bad, and we, we should not kind of, like, entertain them. Yeah, I mean, I have a joke. I have a joke in my new whatever developing hour, which is that one day I said to my daughter, mom's going to put you to bed tonight. And, and she said, she's not your mom. She's my mom. And I said, that's what my therapist keeps telling me. Okay. Uh, which is okay. you know, obviously like a joke about how we project our parents onto our loved one, et cetera. And I guess my question for you would be like, in the relationship with Bina, like, is that one of your parents subbing in for Bina that you think one of your parents is like, let's say more virtuous than the other or more of a better person than the other. Right, yes, yes, yes. Who, who is it, who is it? Um, I, I don't wanna name them because they listen to, it's so funny, I'm actually more afraid of saying that because they actually listen to everything. And That's my, hilarious. My, my parents are huge fans of you and they saw you at the Mandavi Center, so they're definitely gonna listen to this. <laughs> It's so funny. I'm totally okay making my Osama bin Laden, Whitney Houston joke on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This but, has gone one step too far. Because I, I know they will take it literally. But yes, I know okay. the parents. So yeah. you don't have to say, but I think like for the bit long term, yes. I think you should think about like what your relationship with your parents is and why you're projecting on Bina that she's a better person than you. Because by the way, like I love Bina, but I don't think she's a better person than you. I think you're both very good people. So it's like, so, so that's on you. And I think ah, you, have to, you have to look within and figure out why are you projecting that? I get that in that instance, she's probably right. Yes. But at yes. the same time, there, you have things about you that are extraordinarily virtuous or, or interesting or ki kind also. So like, I just think like, I think taking apart the metaphor of your relationship with your loved one in that story. And I would even strip away your friend saying like, go, you know, Jordan Klepper saying like, go to Rhinebeck um, because it's not necessary. We went away on this trip and we're having breakfast and this thing happens. And, uh, and, 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 and therein lies this, you break open this metaphor of your own marriage and you reveal things that you secretly feel about your marriage. Because by the way, like what's interesting is you revealing secrets about your marriage that, I mean, ah. as, as, as painful as that sounds like that's what, that's what we're there for. That's why we're all in the dark room together uh -huh. watching you speak. You know, it's so funny, Mike, I got to unpack this even further because it's, it's, it's so crazy. I remember coming to a table read for your movie, right? And for don't think twice. Yeah, for Don't Think Twice. You would invite, like, different friends over. They read stuff, right? And I remember being like, I was at your guys' place. And, and yeah, this has way more to do with me than it does with you. But I remember, like, Jen was there and she was so sweet. And everybody got pizza. And immediately, dude, I, I felt this within 10 seconds. I was like, Jen's a better person than Mike. Oh, my God. <laughs> Is that fucked up? You gotta be kidding me. Yeah. You gotta be kidding me. And you know what? You know what it is, Mike. It's me probably dealing with like my own shit. I'm like, where did I make this this like Dude. wild accusation? And it's because first of all, first first of all, the party line is, of course she is. Okay. The, the real the real answer is, it's quite complicated. Ah. Okay. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, I, that's fascinating though. I so you think that potentially you're projecting that totally. From your own, from I'm your projecting own my own like. 
again, I'm bring I'm bringing in my baggage into it. Hassan's selfish. Hassan decided to go be a comedian. He didn't go to law yes. school. He went to LA. Yes. He blah 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 blah. He moved his wife away from her her killer job at the homeless veteran shelter that she helped start in LA to move to New York. Wow. All of that stuff, right? Wow. So yeah. I'm bringing that in. In the moment, Jen's like, "Do you want pizza?" And I'm like, "Fuck you, Mike Birbiglia. You That's selfish so piece of shit." She really is. I mean, I've said this before, but I, I'm definitely uh, <laughs> Jen and I sometimes say like I, I once asked Jen, I go, I think I married up by marrying you, and she goes, I think I married up by marrying you, and and it was a sweet moment, right? Because it was us both confessing that we think more of the other person than we think of ourselves. Yeah, and we asked someone who is in one of our families. I won't say who. Okay. <laughs> a couple. Okay. We said, "Do you guys think you married up?" And and they both said, "I think I married down." Oh my god! I know, I know. Oh come on! And I know. And Jen and I just oh, go, "Oh shit!" Like, like that's a that's like not the marriage you want to be in. You you don't want to think you married down. Yeah. And then you don't want to admit it. Okay. So Mike. This is the crazy part. I'm imagining the dinner table where you guys are having that. And I'm <laughs> yes. like, and I'm like, do you have another chair? Because <laughs> the tension to watch that. If I could have Spike Lee tickets. You that, just want to stare. So that awkwardness. You got want to stare at those big eyes. Yeah. I just want to And then Bina and then Bina will be mad at you for staring. I remember we were at a wedding one time. This is like from one of her friends from her master's program. And there was this like there was this couple and they were just like dancing and they were really bad at dancing. And I was just staring. And Bina's like, you gotta stop staring. Cause I kind of was like smiling <laughs> a little bit. And she's like, you gotta stop. And I go, the confidence at which Brad is dancing is the confidence I want to be able to walk through life. Oh, like wow. this dude is so objectively bad. Like if there was the dunk contest, you know how they hold up the signs zero sure. through 10? All three judges would have given it a zero. They would have been like zero. But this dude, he's sweating. He's got the tie around his head. Like, he really wow. believes in himself. And I go, Bina, that's how India was colonized. Because a British oh brad came over and was like, this is mine for the next 300 years. I don't care if it doesn't make sense. I don't care if I'm doing it good or bad. It's mine. And I'm like, I but, want to move in life with that level of confidence. To- by the way, totally separate from all of this, and I, I'm going to circle back to the marriage stuff, but I think about the British colonization of India all the time with like this, this sort of breaking down of American history and how bleak it is and how horrible it is and s- slavery and, and, and the, uh, uh, the killing of Native Americans, massacre of Native Americans. And I go like, just to be clear, are we letting Britain off the hook for India? Totally, <laughs> like, man. Like, I think about that all the time. Like, are we, we're all on the same page that that was horrible, right? Yeah. So my parents grew up during partition. So right when uh, they were born, when kind of India was liberated, it gained, it gained its freedom. But I was like, most stories of liberation, it is a minority population fighting yeah. for autonomy and control from a majority. But yeah. British colonialism over India was one of the few times where it was majority population fighting for autonomy from minority rule. Shocking. Crazy. Yeah. Which I think is such a crazy, wild concept. I've been trying to dissect it and be like, what's the 
comedy way in. I, that sentence is very interesting and weird. But then how do, do you, I, you know? Do you, do you, we have to get back to the marriage stuff, but like, do you feel that, do you feel strongly about the British occupation of India? Like, do you, is it in your bones or does it feel other than to you? It's definitely in the bones of my parents, but I've seen yeah. the modern, um, the modern trappings of it. So I'll give you an example, like, Indians still have a very high reverence for London in the UK. Yes, and I've I'm heard like, that. Yep. why? Fuck them. <laughs> like, like, right, like, right. like, like my mom cried when Princess Diana died. And I'm like, oh my why? Gosh, and she's yes. like, I loved Princess Diana. And I'm like, but she's British royalty. Like, why? Yeah. Like, um, you know, there's this lightning skin cream called Fair and Lovely that like you use to look more light. Like, there's all these byproducts of kind of British colonialism in India that still exist. And I'm just like, I don't get it. And it, it, it makes me kind of like mad. And especially because I'm American and I grew up in the States, the way we in our story very much in history is like, yo, we give Britain the bird. Like we flip them yes. off. We're like, no, yes. no taxation without representation. Right. We're dumping your fucking tea in the ocean. Like yeah. that kind of feeling of like, autonomy and individuality and like I have control over my destiny is such a yeah. American thing and I feel that pride and then I also feel that pride like and it's so interesting because the story of Britain and its rule over America and the story of Britain's rule over India is vi very similar they're both kind of they were both British colonies you know yeah it's so let's circle back to the original theme of what the show that you're developing is like what what's your how would you describe the the new solo show that you're working on um i don't want to give away too much but i talk about some of the controversies that i've gotten into and the philosophical question that i'm trying to unpack is can you do the right thing for the wrong reasons mm, yes it's actually kind of a story of regret so some of the stuff that I've done on the show that we've gotten a lot of credit for, I actually regret. I wish I never did it. Oh, wow. Wow. And that's a weird thing where yeah. we live in this age now where people will give you these digital props and they'll put you up. They'll prop you up because of it. But they, you, they never hear what happened to you and the ramifications that it had on your life and whether or not you wish you could have done it if you could have done it all over again, if that makes sense. Totally. And I think, like, one of the things, to, to, you know, to, to sort of wrap this up to a degree, like, I think one of the things we should make a note of or you should put in your notes is, like, I think the British colonization of India, I think, is interesting to break open a little bit yeah. and maybe, like, interview your parents about. Oh, interesting. Because, because I think that that's got a lot of, like, who's right, who's wrong kind of thing, like, clearly you think the british are wrong and and your parents maybe are more mixed on that yes um and then the thing with bina i think is a great personal anecdote because it lands it in like often you think she's right but like is she right yeah. i don't know so like I've talked you know to what my, i mean so wait I'll, I'll riff this with you right now like i've talked to my parents about this and i'll be like yeah fuck them and, but they'll, they'll be like, but the British gave us the railway system. And I'm like, who gives a shit? Like, what? Yeah. Like, can you imagine that? If, like, if, 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 like, 
in Hamilton or whatever, they were just like, but the British gave us Amtrak. You'd be like, who yes. gives a fuck? Yes. Like, are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. And then and then in terms of like the staring thing, yeah. which is that you have a habit of like staring at the other couple or stare. What was your second example? You had another like staring. Oh, yeah. Staring at the confidence of the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And just but, uh, maybe there's the connection. So, the way he colonized the dance floor is the way the British colonized India. Just the sheer confidence of like, yep, I'm just going to do this. Exactly. And then like, I, I think I think I would break out the staring thing because you have two examples off the top of your head literally you have the breakfast with bina and then you have the guy dancing at the wedding you probably have three or four oh, more and you yeah, don't tons. even realize it yeah 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 i get i get and in I, trouble for it all and the I, time. I i feel like throw it all in there man that's all great uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. because also you know um, and, and then also the thing of like the historical pullout of all of this, of like that, like, we don't know who's right. We don't know who's wrong until later, basically. Right. And I think about that. I think about that constantly. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think I should just leave Twitter entirely because of course, like 60% of my takes will be wrong just by virtue of how often we're wrong. Yeah. All of us, we're all wrong all the time. Huh. Huh. Chuck Klosterman has a book, What If We're All Wrong? And it's like, you read that book and you're like, oh my gosh, I should never have an opinion about anything again. Like, it's a historical breakdown of how often we were wrong about things as a people. And it's, it's yeah, it's, it's really incredible. Do you feel confident, though, that we at least participate in an art form where we try things hundreds of times and then we put it up to be like... I, I, that's what I love about it. And that's why I did this podcast, because I couldn't handle the idea of being away from an audience for so long and not having the feedback of understanding whether or not this stuff is connecting with people. Mm. Mm. Because I was like, I gotta, I gotta connect with people. Like it's like I was doing Instagram lives and stuff like that. But I was like, I think that I need to properly produce it and, and put it in people's ears in a way that they'll really be able to consume it and, and give feedback. I mean, hopefully when people are listening to this, like, feel free to like tweet at me or post comments in the in the Instagram section uh, or email me. Sometimes you can just email me, I think, at workingitoutpod at gmail.com. I want feedback. I'm interested. I mean, I, I think sometimes people don't realize this because a lot of comedians are thin-skinned and they're like, people don't want me to say anything. And it's like, I actually, and I think you're sort of like this, I'm sort of interested in what people have to say. I've had people come up to me after my Working It Out shows in Brooklyn and they said, this joke upset me because of this reason. And I thought about it and I either, in many cases, either kept it in, kept it in and changed it or tweaked it to acknowledge that person's pain or cut it. I've cut jokes before. And I'm I'm not embarrassed to say I've cut jokes because people have made me understand something in a way I didn't understand it before. That's really fascinating. Wow. I mean, because that, because theoretically, it's a dialogue. It's like it's like we're trying to get to a point where we present kind of in comedy far out ideas, yes. far out takes on things. Yes, and the audience tells us through laughter or or uh, cheering or awing or cringing. You can you can sense their body language. They tell us what they connect with. And then we adjust accordingly. Yeah. And so uh, the idea of 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 not adjusting or not evolving based on what the audience is saying is like to me, it's like I don't know, sort of pig-headed. Yeah. Yeah. 
I agree with that, man. But it's it sounds like you're it sounds like you had that with some of your shows where you're like, oh, in hindsight, I'm not sure I would have done that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think again, you can. It, it's going to be a little bit more meta, but it's like you can stand by the material, but the means and the certain things that you did. Did you were you doing it for the right reasons? You know. The final uh, segment is uh, working it out for a cause. And it's basically, if you have any organization or nonprofit that you think is doing good work that you want to shine a light on. How about NRDC and Campaign Zero, which is an organization that is figuring out solutions to end police violence. Those are two great ones. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Um, So we'll give to those this week. And and that'll do it. This is, uh, Hassan, I wish we could talk like this three times a week. And I'm so glad that we're friends and I'm so glad we had this talk. Thanks, man. You're the best. Working it out cause it's not done. Working it out cause there's no That was another episode of Working It Out with Hassan Minhaj. Our producers are Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia. Consulting producer Seth Barish. Sound mix by Kate Belinsky with help from Joel, Robbie, assistant editor Mabel Lewis. Special thanks to my consigliere, Mike Berkowitz, as well as Marissa Hurwitz. Another special thanks to Jack Antonoff for our music. And as always, a very special thanks to my wife, the poet, J-Hope Stein. Our new book, the new one, is in your local bookstore curbside. And there's an additional thing this week. Jen and I are doing a virtual local bookstore tour of America. Mark your calendars the... The whole month of August, it's called. That's an easy way to mark your calendar. It's the the whole month of August. It's called Jokes and Poems. We made up this format. It's a one-of-a-kind thing where we're doing couplets of jokes and poems virtually at bookstores across America. And uh, you can sign up for my mailing list on burbigs.com for updates about every stop from Spokane to Tulsa to San Francisco to Brooklyn. And as always, a special thanks to my daughter, Una, who created my special radio fort. Once again, our thanks to Sam Adams, who is presenting the Restaurant Strong Fund. Join them today at samueladams.com. Until next time, thank you most of all to everyone who listened. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, we're working it out.